Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week on The Breakup Breakdown. For 25 days, he was in ICU and I had to make the decision to turn the machines off. I had to plug a second phone in of his. Once I charged it up, there was a five-year stream between him and another woman. But I just thought she was a friend being concerned on how he was doing. The more things would happen, I'm like, you can't even make this up and it's my life. Discovering infidelity is already painful enough, but but discovering it after your partner is passed and not getting those questions answered, not getting that closure, it breaks you. But sometimes when you get broken, you get stronger. Hey, what's up? It's Abby for The Breakup Breakdown. Thanks so much for tuning into another episode. Hey, if you have a breakup story that you want to tell on the podcast, or maybe you followed somebody from like, I don't know, college, and you've always wanted to ask about their breakup. Maybe you saw them delete all of their engagement photos off of Instagram. You can submit those stories and inquiries via a submission form in the episode description. And as always, if you want to jump to a specific part of the interview, you can check out timestamps in the episode description. Hey, Heartbreakers, welcome back to another episode of The Breakup Breakdown. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a bit of a different type of submission this week. It actually came from a caller from someone who called into the morning show that I work for during my day job. And she just sort of randomly dropped the fact that she discovered that her husband was having an affair after he passed away. And we were like, wait, 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 you can't just you can't just drop that information and not explain. So she was kind enough to agree to come on this podcast and give us the full story. But before we get into this week's episode, I want to let you know what domestic violence shelter we are supporting this week. So this week we're raising awareness for Palomar in Oklahoma City. They provide resources and shelter for victims of domestic violence, of course, in the Oklahoma City area. As always, if you want to donate your time, money, resources, I'm going to link all that in the episode description so you can learn more. Also, I know we've been talking about doing a breakup breakdown brunch in the Atlanta area. We're actually trying to decide on a new date. It was going to be June 10th. And now we're thinking maybe later June, early July. I'll keep you posted on the podcast, of course, and let you know all those details. And if you're interested in attending, just know it's not going to be June 10th. And I will link an interest form in the episode description. So if you're interested in coming, you can let me know and I'll be able to email you when all those official dates are ironed out. Okay, so let's get into the submission. So if you didn't know, I work for a radio morning show called The Burt Show. And we were doing this really cool thing the week of Cinco de Mayo, where we were taking calls from business owners who were of Mexican descent and highlighting them as a way to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. And we got this call from a woman named Elena, and she was talking about her small business called Besitos Beauty, where she sells these beautiful, beautiful lipsticks. And she was telling us a brief background of her story and how she got started. And she said it came as a result of her husband passing away. And then like nine months later, she found out that he was having an affair. A quick little thing about radio morning shows is we don't really have that much time to like dive deep into these stories. It's normally like, okay, we've got 90 seconds and then we got to move on to the next thing. So I just remember we were sitting there and we were all kind of looking at each other like, oh, wait a second. Can we pause the show to do like a deep dive on this story? Because first of all, we didn't want to ask, how did you not 
know the affair was going on, but were there any signs? Of course, with this podcast, that's like the first thing that I'm asking is, did you have any red flags? Did you have any inkling? So, of course, my curiosity started there. I was also curious, you know, of course, like, how did he pass? I mean, the woman that we were speaking to didn't sound, you know, like a particularly old person. So we wondered what happened there. And then after he passed, how did you find out about the affair? Did the woman come forward? Did she give you a call and say, hey, just wanted to let you know what happened? Was it something that happened at the funeral? Was there like a random woman who showed up at the funeral and you didn't know who the person was until maybe later. There were so many questions that stemmed from that one call, but I also thought it'd be an interesting story just because we talk so much about breakups and how we can become better from that experience. I mean, she talked about specifically how finding out the affair, it led her to launch her business, Pasitos Beauty. So there were just, there's so much that I wanted to unpack. So she was kind enough to hop on a call with me. And before we get into the interview, if you want to check out her business, Pasitos Beauty, maybe order some lipsticks if you're interested, I'm going to link that in the episode description as well while we break down this week's breakup. Yeah, well, my husband, he was a second marriage. So I had been married for like 12 years, had two sons, divorced, and then got with my second husband. And we knew each other in grade school. I went to kindergarten with his sisters and he had an older brother. I have an older sister. So they were in the same class. So we all just knew each other like most of our lives. We had tried to hook up, but he was five years older than me. So in high school, well, I'm 16. He's 21. It's just not going to work out. So years go by. We venture off, go our way. And then my dad was dying of cancer in 2011. And he popped back up in my life at that time. And the crazy thing is, is we talk red flags nowadays, right? Red flags. And how do you know things aren't going to be good? And I look back now and there were red flags all over the place. I knew it, but I had my daddy issues pop up after losing my dad. And I really was just weak. I just need somebody. He was comfortable. We knew each other. I felt safe. I could be vulnerable. And that's how we got back together. Talk to me about some of those red flags that in hindsight, you look back and you go, oh, I should have ran. The little lies. He was going through a divorce. I thought it was like going through divorce and it really kind of wasn't as far along as I thought. So lies right up front. And I was like, cool, I'm divorced. I'm grieving. I'm a hot mess. I really didn't care. What do I have to lose is kind of being honest where I was in my mindset when I started listening to my gut and I'm like, yeah, this just isn't feeling good. It became very toxic. You know, I have a huge heart, a huge heart for everyone. You meet me, I'm going to, I'm going to shower you with love. And I felt like needed. I felt like, you know, oh my God, I can't do this to him. Somehow it turned around that I was hurting him and I tried to make things right. And that was really the foundation of a relationship that stayed very toxic, which in retrospect, when I look back, I don't think I'm surprised of the affair, but I wish I would have been stronger at that time. And I think knowing that place of vulnerability that I was and knowing that I trusted him because we had childhood connections, I think he knew she's not going anywhere. It just got worse. Talk to me about how I'll use the word daddy issues. I I have a love-hate relationship with that term because talk to me about how you felt like that affected your attachment to your ex-husband or late husband. It took many years to understand that my dad left when I was eight. Um, My parents, we were very successful. They had businesses and all of this. And so a big part of it, 
I didn't even know the term at the time, but abandonment. I helped him load his trunk up with some of his things, not knowing that he was moving. I'm from Indiana. He was moving to Arizona. So he was moving across the country, but nobody like thought to tell me this. So I was alone all the time, but I helped him leave. I thought he was just taking things to his apartment and he was literally moving across the country and we didn't see each other for like years would go by before we'd see each other. And I was so close to him young. I really grew up with this internal belief that I wasn't good enough, that if my own dad could leave me and forget happy birthdays, forget Merry Christmases, like if my own dad could leave me and he's the one that's supposed to love me most. I'm supposed to be the most precious baby girl in his eyes. I'm supposed to be the most beautiful. Like he's my dad. If he could leave me, then anyone could leave me. I somehow created this thought in my mind that I just wasn't good enough. And I look back and that affected every relationship really that I had in my life from teenage years growing up. And so I know going into that second marriage, I just wanted somebody that wasn't going to leave me. And my dad had died. So I felt that abandonment all over again because we had built a relationship and and me and my dad because I knew my husband from childhood it just felt safe. That's how people get in toxic relationships. When people are like, you know how does that happen? There's so many pieces that actually go into it. It's not like you just make a decision like, yeah, I'm I'm, going to do this. There's so many underlying issues that sometimes don't come out until you get honest about where you are and really look at how did I get here? I talked to a lot of therapists about learning to trust yourself again after getting in a toxic relationship. I thought it would be a controversial episode because she said, you know, you have to take ownership of your part of the relationship of agreeing to be into it. I think that's a really hard truth to to come to terms with, but I think it's so important when you're like looking in hindsight and healing from that situation. It obviously sounds like you have. So was the majority of your relationship, would you consider that toxic? What did your marriage look like? It, It was very toxic. We'd have our good moments of course. And and the thing is with toxic relationships, when you have a good moment, it is amplified. It is like so good. The rest of it's bad. And really it shouldn't be that, you know, extreme, but everything is extreme in a toxic relationship. So we were, we were friends. I mean, he would make me laugh and, but I think I was so broken that it, it really just didn't matter. He could go days without speaking with me. Like if I did something that set him off and I walked on eggshells, every day because it was like a light switch. That mood was like a light switch. And I just didn't know, am I going to flip it today or are we going to have a good day? So my mood basically ran on where he was. So I lost any kind of control over that myself. I just kind of rode the wave. We weren't really close. We didn't go on dates. We never took trips. Um, He worked all the time and we just lived very separate lives. But I wasn't going to leave. I put on like 50 pounds. I secluded myself from my family. My two sons, who I said are older today, I mean, I would tell them every day, this is not what a healthy relationship looks like. I look back and had to ask forgiveness for the damage that I actually caused them by choosing to stay in that relationship. You know, I could ask a question like, did you have a bad day? And it'd be like, what What the F do you think? I'm like, okay. So I just always felt on edge, but it was so extreme. Like if he was good, then we all had to be good because if we weren't, then we'd trigger it. It was a mess. So you vocalized to your sons while you were in the relationship that it wasn't healthy. Was it your fear of 
abandonment and your daddy issues that were keeping you in that relationship? Or once you recognized that it was unhealthy, like what was the motivating factor for you staying? By that time, I didn't want to go through a second divorce. I didn't want to uproot my kids again. He controlled the finances. I worked and everything just went in a pot that he took care of. So I just didn't even know like where to begin. I literally was dependent, Mm -hmm. independent of a person as I am, as strong and as vocal and confident that I am today. I was that person before and I couldn't even recognize myself. My family didn't really know what was going on because I isolated myself. I just knew because every time I get to that point of I'm done, I'm out. I don't deserve this. He knew how to pull me back in. He knew the strings of those places that hurt so bad, of being left alone, of never finding somebody. Like he would always trigger those things that I confided at one point when we were having a good moment that scared me the most of that my dad leaving, of being alone. Of, and so he would use things as your your sons are going to grow and they're going to move on. You're going to be left by yourself. Things that shut me down and then I would just get on with it. In fact, before we got married, I remember calling my sister. My sister lived in Texas and I called my sister. I have one sister and I just said, I don't know what I'm doing. Something in me, I don't know why I'm doing this. And she's like, she calls me Lena. She's like, Lena, people call weddings off all the time. I had family coming in from out of town and I was looking forward to the party. I was looking forward to people to just love on me. That's such the wrong reasons, but I just didn't have the strength in me to say, I can't do this. Turns out my gut was right. My gut was right about a lot of things, but I wouldn't leave. You keep saying that you isolated yourself from your family. Do you think he had anything to do with that? Or was that a conscious decision on your part? Um, It was huge. He had a huge part of that. He was not social. Anytime we got invited to go somewhere, he would not go. So I would go by myself. My family likes to party. We like to drink. We like to dance. We like to have fun. So then if I went out, I'd come home and it would be issues. Did I dance with somebody? You know, uh, so it just became more of why even go? Honestly, I'd go to weddings or or big events, um, but it was things like he would say he would go. I'd go out, get us some new outfits because he worked construction and stuff. So he very rarely had like nice clothes. And so I'd always get excited. And then the moment would come and he's like, I'm not going. It exerted more energy to try to make plans to do things than to just not make plans. For me to go and do things by myself always turned into some sort of an argument after. So it's like, I'm just not even going to go. And Then I got to a point where because I had put so much weight on, I was self-conscious. You know, I owned a fitness studio for 14 years and was cut and fit. And all of a sudden I'm 50 pounds heavier and I didn't want to be seen. So it really just destroyed me as me. What went into that 50 pound weight gain? Were you using food as a, as a comfort tool? Was it a lifestyle change? What was going on with that? Yeah, it it was a comfort of tool. I quit working out. I had closed my studio and uh, got a full-time job to make more money. Money was a big, big factor. So I had a leadership position and uh, made good money, but I sat at my desk all day. So you go from dancing on stage and lifting weights and powerhouse here and there to just stagnant. And then, you know, just the arguing, I would sit outside and just drink beers to just wallow away my tears, you know, and I would try to make meals 
meals regularly, like big meals, because to me, it was like, at least we can have dinner as a family. And sometimes he would come home, sometimes he wouldn't. And I just ate and I ate and I would watch TV and I just turned into like a a slug. The more I didn't want to be seen, the more I created that shell, that guard. It didn't really sink in until I saw myself in a photo of how much weight I had really gained. But yeah, it was well over 50 pounds and I'm under five feet. That's a lot of weight to go on. (laughs) The reason how we ended up here is um, you dropped that bombshell on the Burt Show saying, you know, my husband passed away and then nine months later found out there was an affair going on. We talked to me about everything that went into that. So talk to me about the passing of your husband and then how you found out that he was having an affair. I got to a point where I had had a neck surgery. I was working at my corporate job. I was a corporate leader and I'm really into leadership and personal development and growth and everything. And I could just even tell at a job they were tapped out. Like nobody wanted to grow. So I, I certified through John Maxwell coaching and, and everything and, and was going to branch off and start my own executive coaching business. So I was getting prepared to go to training and all of that. And I ended up having to have a neck surgery. You know, I talked about my GOD, uh, my grand overall designer. I use that term because whatever people believe in, whatever they call it is all good. But I just, my main man, my GOD. And I started hearing him speak to me because he literally silenced me. I was cut from the front of my throat and he literally had to stop me, silence me to get me to just be and listen. And it was at that time that I started hearing like, you're going to write a book. And I thought, no, you got the wrong person. I don't even like to read. You know, I'm having all these conversations in my head and that desire for growth was tremendous. And there was an experience where I was able to see all the pain, all the pain in my life growing up and it finally all made sense. Like how in the hell did I get here? And it all made sense. So I knew that there was purpose going forward and it's almost like God was able to swoop that pain up and remove it. And and looking back, you know how they say you can't connect the dots until you look backwards. Looking back, he told me that my book was going to be called Broken Stronger and I loved that name and, and all of this pain was releasing. But now that I look back, I knew he was preparing me for what was ahead. You know, as I talked about writing the book, wanting to start my business. I had these huge dreams, these huge desires, and they kept getting shut down. You know, my husband was like, you're going to just retire from this company. It was stupid, basically. It was stupid to have all these big dreams. And I just felt this internal battle. I'm like, God, I know you want me to do more. I can't do more and I will never leave. So I would cry. I would cry in the shower. That was the only place that I felt like safe to just let it out. And I would beg God, like, I know I don't deserve to be treated this way. You know, I don't believe we deserve anything I would say except for what we work for but I know I don't deserve to be treated this way and I would just pray please change his heart please change his heart November 30th 2018 he had a heart attack I will never forget he he got home from work in in the morning because he owned his business he got home from work around lunchtime and uh said he was gonna go back and take a nap I was decorating for the holidays Christmas is my favorite time of year and something inside just said go give him a little kiss a besito that's a little 
kiss in Spanish. Go give him a little kiss. And so I walked back there no more than a minute. I mean, I literally just felt that pull and he didn't say anything to me, you know, and I thought, quit screwing around, quit messing around. And, and, and then it dawned on me, he was face down in the pillow. And so I pushed the pillow because I remember saying even like I was trying to tickle him under the arm and I'm like, if you don't quit jacking around, I'm going to call 911. Like what's going on? And that's when I realized, no, he's actually face down. So I pressed the pillow and it caught like a gap, like the gasp of air. And I'm got 911, got my son coming down, trying to help. And paramedics got there and they had to shock him like seven times to just get him to the hospital. But from November 30th for 25 days, he was in ICU and I had to make the decision to turn the machines off. And he died on Christmas Eve, discovering everything that came up after his death. I really feel that that window of time, he was battling with his GOD. I really feel that they had to come to an agreement on what was going to happen, what was going to take place, because we're talking finances, a hot mess, debt like crazy. He had no life insurance. I thought we had life insurance. Uh, we had properties in Ohio that he had told me that the notary made a mistake. So I needed to sign again because it was out of state. Little did I know I was signing on two separate plots, like so much and verbal contracts. So that property had to go in auction that was supposed to be our retirement. And I didn't get one dime. It just kept getting worse. We had bought our home on a foreclosure. So we bought our home cash, but I had no idea. He took a personal loan out on it to help fund that property, that second property. So they wouldn't even talk to me because technically my home, my name wasn't on our home. Like I literally lost. And this was all surfacing after he died. That nine months later, I was still cleaning up messes. I still needed to find numbers for contractors and this and that. And that's when I had said I had to plug a second phone in of his. And discover, once I charged it up, there was a five-year stream between him and another woman. I call it an affair. Somebody told me me for it to go on five years. That's not an affair. <laughs> but what else do you call it? I don't know. But she had been texting while he was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I was those texts on his phone, but I just thought she was a friend being concerned on how he was doing. So I'm like, thank you for texting and check checking on my husband. And I mean, it was just chaos. So I look back, I knew who she was. Uh, she had been in my home. She was chiming in on a lot of the lives that I was doing, giving updates on his progress because that was the easiest way to reach people. As I looked back at memories, I'm like, she was showing up at all these things. And yet I didn't know. There comes a point where I just remember sur complete surrender. It was complete surrender. It was like, okay, G-O-D, I believe. I walk in faith. I trust. But come on now. <laughs> you know, I'm like, come on. That affair piece, that was the piece that broke me. Also broke my kids. It broke my kids because we all suffered through this toxic thing. Again, I take responsibility for staying in it. But to know for what? It was the absolute worst time of my life. I got to that point where I'm like, you can't even make this shit up. Like you can't even, the more things would happen. I'm like, you can't even make this up. And it's my life. <laughs> was there a specific text or like a, a revelation where you were looking back and you're like, this looks like it was more than just a friend. Like this looks like a romantic situation for it to go on for five years. Well, the crazy thing is, and people are going to probably think I'm nuts for not seeing through it at the time. 
I'm not a huge fan of spicy foods, but I do like a bit of spice in other areas of my life. Reality TV fights, make it spicy. My margaritas, make them very spicy. And when it comes to the spice cabinet you keep beside your bed, you gotta have a wide variety of spices to keep things heated up. If you've been looking for some more flavor to add to your life behind closed doors, Adam and Eve can help you bring the heat with some fun new items to turn up the temp between you and someone else. Or if it's a single girl summer, there's plenty of options for those of you riding solo this year. Adam and Eve is offering 50% off just about any item and they'll include free shipping and rush processing so you can spice things up ASAP. And you don't got to worry about your neighbors noticing your delivery. Adam and Eve ships things out in discreet packaging. So you and Deborah down the street don't have to make awkward eye contact when you get your mail. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item and select just enter offer code Abby at checkout. That's A-B-B-Y at adamandeve.com. This exclusive offer is specific to this podcast. So be sure to use code Abby to get your discount code Abby. If you're like me and the second you get home from work, you are ravenous. You are going to love these new meals I've been trying out from Factor. Factor has delicious, ready to eat meals that you can make in two minutes with pre-prepared chef crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. It's so convenient. I have like grocery store ADHD. Anytime I go to like Publix or something, I'm buying everything. And then I come home with no meals. Whereas Factor, it's all the meal prep done for you. You've got 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. If you want to get started today and have a feel good week of meals ready to go, head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off. I feel like there's two types of people in the world. The people that get super excited when the temps hit the 80s and the people who are like, holy crap, it's bathing suit weather and I do not feel my best. The warmer it is, the more dialed in I feel like I need to be with my nutrition. But I gotta be honest with you, I hate cooking. Do I cook for myself and feel great? Or do I get takeout and eat a bunch of crap that's just honestly expensive and not that great for you? That's why I really enjoyed trying out Factor. Factor is a meal service that requires no prep. All you gotta do is heat them up in the microwave for like two minutes and they're chef crafted. So they're actually designed to meet your nutrition goals. Whether you're trying to watch your calories, get more protein in or follow a keto diet. There are 35 different meals and 60 add-ons to choose from with breakfast, lunches, dinners, and even desserts. Head to factormeals.com slash breakup50 and use code breakup50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code breakup50 at factormeals.com slash breakup50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. He was a commercial painting contractor. He did commercial and residential. He got hired to paint a house. A mother and father hired him that he had painted their home, but they hired him to paint their daughter's house who had gone through a divorce and had like a one one or two year old. He's going to paint her house. And he told me one of the times he showed up, she answered the door in a little nighty. I guess this kind of stuff happens often. I guess. I don't know. I'm naive. I believe whatever. But he told me she answered the door in a little nighty and it made him very uncomfortable and, you know, all of this stuff. And he even told me the color of it. He would 
would tell me how her mom was always trying to say my daughter, my daughter. And he was trying to tell them like, no, I'm in a relationship because we weren't married yet. So this was the woman. So I knew of her. I knew that story. But again, coming from the place that he was, it was all her fault. It was always someone else's fault. It was all my fault. When you're that type of a narcissist, toxic, it's everybody else's fault, never yours. And so, you know, I got this picture painted to me about this woman that was throwing herself at him. And I knew of her. I knew her name. I knew that story. As soon as I saw her name in his phone, the way that it went back is even the young girl, the daughter, they cracked up at how in the beginning she would call him that guy. Now she's years older and they obviously have more of a relationship. And there were photos and, you know, she was a dentist. And so he actually told me why he needed to switch dentists. But that was their code. I picked up through the text messages that was that he needed to come in for a dental checkup. It was kind of nasty the way it, it went. But I mean, there was photos. But I think for me, it was the sickness of her texting before our wedding asking, you know, how does it feel to be a stepdad? It's like, y'all, this was a joke. It was almost like funny in some of these things. And I thought this is my life. And it was like the air just got punched out of me. And then I had to put it down. Then your mind goes and says like, maybe you just read it wrong. Like maybe you just thought too much into it. Let's go back and twist the knife again. And I did. And I did. And it was all there. When I came out about it, people were like, he would never do that. You know, how dare you talk about And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, he would because it's like right in my face. But those pieces I never felt needed shared at the time because I didn't need people to believe me. I just needed to get it out. It wasn't about grinding him down as some horrible person. It was like, this is not my cross to carry. This is not my shame. I've got to release this so that I don't let this toxicity poison me. I mean, just that entire span. I mean, from the from the moment that the heart attack happened to that, I can't, I can't even fathom how painful that must have been. I want to back up a little bit and talk about what those 25 days looked like between the heart attack happening and you deciding to pull life support. Yeah. What went into that decision? By the time Christmas came around, were you like, I think we need to put this to bed for the rest of the holidays? What went into that decision? Well, with him having his heart attack and them shocking him seven times uh, before even getting him to the point where they could take him to the hospital, they didn't think he would make it out of the bedroom. That process alone went on almost 50 minutes. So that's a long amount of time to go without proper oxygen and in, in everything to your organs. When he got to the hospital and they did the heart piece, it was the widow maker is what they call it. The widow maker was 99% blocked. The rest of his heart was crystal clear. So they were able to put the stent in to his heart. He would have been able to go home. But that length of time that all the other organs went without proper flow, a lot more stuff was being was damaged in his body. So he was in that hypothermic coma for like 48 hours, I think it was. And then when he came out, they were able to do a scan. They're like, we don't like to guess these things, but if we had to put a number, he's at about a 20% rate of making a comeback. For every day that passes, that percentage will go down. That very next day, he came to, his eyes opened, he was able to squeeze 
and follow command. It was literally a miracle. And I'm like, God is like showing us a miracle. People are praying that don't normally pray. I mean, my faith is huge. And I thought something's happening here, like something's happening. And I just stayed true to that. That was one good day. That was one good day. And then shortly after that, he fought so hard to get off of this machine that they had to strap him down. His strength was incredible, but he was not well to be taken off of the machine. So they ended up having to keep him sedated more than anything because he was aggressive when he was more alert, even though he still, you know, was was out of it. So that went on. You know, people came to visit. I stayed at the hospital. It was probably about a week gone before my mom's like, okay, you can't keep just cleaning up at the hospital. You need to go home. But it, it devastated me to leave. So I was there every day. One morning I came in. It was a Saturday. I came in and I just knew something's different. I felt like I was looking at a shell. I felt like even his hands had aged or deflated. It was it was just this weird thing. The day before he looked vibrant. He was still sleeping, but he looked vibrant. And I now feel that that's the day that God was touching him because that next morning I came in, it startled me. I told the nurse like something is not right. They ended up doing another brain scan and he had ended up suffering a massive stroke. And so, so by that point, it was we can keep him alive. You know, his numbers can be good because the machines are doing all the work. But by then he was on dialysis and everything was just shutting down. You know, I had a conversation with his his family. We decided that this is the thing. Like if he can't be active and move and he, he wouldn't want to lay here with a feeding tube and, and all of that. So we knew that that was the decision. The stroke clearly played a huge role in knowing that there will not be a recovery. So because it was around Christmas, we had set the date out a couple days. You know, we can we can keep him steady and then do it like right after Christmas. His family lived um, in another state. They were close by, but they, they were still in another state. He started declining, foaming at the mouth and stuff. And I'm like, we're keeping him here for us. That's not cool. He's not a show for people to want to come and pay their respects and see him like this, like no. So I made the decision and it was the day before Christmas Eve. It would have been the 23rd. So on the 22nd, I made the decision to bump it up. We were doing it the 23rd. He hung on that long, breathing on his own. I didn't know what to expect. I have never been present when they remove life support from someone. You see it in the movies and it like happens, right? So I, I was prepared. I couldn't watch when they took the, the tube out, but I was in there because they warn you, you might hear some noises and things like that. So I was prepared, but I was prepared for that shock and that emotion and, and all of it. And he just hung on, like he just stayed steady. And he did until like 4 a.m. We were in Christmas Eve. Christmas is my favorite time of year. And I told him like, you, you had to wait till Christmas. <laughs> because now Christmas Eve every year, that's, you know, I had, a, I came home on Christmas Eve without my husband. I was talking to funeral home directors and all this stuff, but it was a long 25 days. He needed to make things right, I think, with him, his G.O.D., and even some of the people that came to visit him, I think being that toxic type of person, I think there was a lot of relationships that suffered, that people just needed to come and pay their respects, and and he had those those moments, so. Oh, I'm so sorry you had to, to go through that, and the fact that it was on your favorite holiday, too, I know. 
I know that's not going to be a great reminder every year, but hopefully Jesus was in a good mood when he met his maker. <laughs> now we've talked about, about that. I want to push us back to you discovering the affair. Talk to me about how that affected you in days after, because I think a lot of people would expect you discover there's enough, you have a lot of anger towards the other person. How did you handle that in the coming days once you discovered he was cheating on you? I remember that initial moment when, like I said, I felt punched. I felt like I couldn't take a breath. It was shock. And I still don't know why it was shock because like I said, our relationship wasn't good, but I never thought that was going on. I never would have thought that that was going on. I held it to myself. I I kept it to myself. I remember thinking, God, thinking, God, why show this to me now? Why did I have to find this now? I always try to find positive in everything. And at that moment, the only positive that I could find was that God God laid it down gently. It took nine months because if I had discovered this at the time I discovered I had no money, I had no retirement, I had like if I had discovered all of it at once, I don't know if I would be here. I'm just being honest. I, I felt like giving up many, many times. I had to look at the gift in it being laid down gently. That's how I thought of it is God just kind of gave it to me in pieces. But this was almost the piece that allowed me to forgive all the other stuff. It made things make sense Finally, I know why he would not come home from the shop for hours. Now I know why, you know, he could be in a good mood and not in a good mood the next. They were probably arguing like there were so many things that it's like, okay, this makes sense. But then it was, how could you have been so stupid? How could you have not been enough? Is there something you could have done that would have made things better? Could you have been better? Like all this stuff started playing on me then. What was wrong with me? Was it because I put weight on? Was it, you know, I mean, all all this stuff. And I really then started hating myself. I felt like I caused it. I could have been different. Maybe he wouldn't have gone that route, but I don't know how real we can get here. But when people talk about affairs, they usually think it's because you're not having sex, that the guy's going to go somewhere because he needs to get it from somewhere. Well, we were very intimate, like regularly. Nobody could have given me that excuse. It was something inside of him that he needed because we were very compatible (laughs) in that area. (laughs) So it wasn't that. And and so I just knew it had to just been me. You know, if my dad could leave, it nailed it. I wasn't good enough. And that's what I started believing. I wasn't good enough. I didn't look at myself. I really beat myself up about it. So when people talk about that anger going to him or that anger going to her, I actually put that anger on me. I felt like it was my fault. And maybe because he wasn't around for me to go off on or yell at or anything, but that's not even where I went. I actually prayed for her because that says a lot about her too, to be in the shadows for five years. So I thought she's got to have some sort of issues of self-esteem and self-confidence. And then I thought she suffered a loss. Did anybody know they were together? Did she have a shoulder to cry on? Like, you know, that's where my mind went. Like all these questions about her because you can't spend that kind of time. You know, I know she showed up on videos and could have been at his funeral too. I don't, I don't even really remember, but that's, that's the heart I have. For me, one of the things that I started to do because I was like, no, you know, that's where God was just like, I know he created 
created me for more. I know there's purpose in this. I know there's positive I can turn out of this. Like that's who I am as a person. And I'm like, no, I will not stay in this downward spiral. You know, when you're falling and you and you like put the brakes on to stop it. I had to do that where I'm like, no, you're better than this. But I had to fight for it. I had to fight to believe it. I had to fight to see it. It was a struggle, but I just kept again talking to my G.O.D. Like I am in complete surrender here because I don't know what you're doing or why it had to come to this. But here we are. So I literally just let it go and started focusing on myself. And so I would take pictures of myself. I could capture my sadness. There were nights I would drink so much wine in my bedroom. So I captured myself with the pain that could feel free to come out that I wouldn't allow anyone else to see. I went through every emotion. Thank goodness I have a big bedroom because I was like all over the place. But I did. I had to just feel it all. But I started taking pictures of myself so that I could zoom in and really look at my eyes and look at every single part of me because I was like, no, I am beautiful. I am worth it. Photos allowed me to see it. And so then I started writing. I had already written my book, but I started writing the pain. I started writing. I called them my moments of transparency and they went on my Facebook and I would put these face shots and I would write and I would just write. And it's like, I didn't care what people thought. I didn't care if there were opinions, but I found that I was touching a lot of people through my words. And that became a healing process for me. And I eventually fell in love with myself and I eventually forgave myself. That allowed me to just let him rest in peace, just let it go. And I never, I never contacted her. I'm sure through the grapevine, she knows that I know. But to me, it's like, there's not a thing she could have told me that would have made it right, that would have made it wrong. I mean, it's like, there's not a thing that she could have said. And to be matter of fact, I didn't want to hear a word of it. And I really didn't want an excuse or an apology at all. I had to do this for me. So I never approached her. That's so amazing that you were able to take your pain and turn it into a moment where you were able to, I don't want to say forgive yourself because I know that you blamed yourself, but I also don't think you were to blame. And I think it's amazing that you really did take this and turn it on its head and use it as an opportunity to fall in love with yourself again and and realize that you do deserve great treatment and you do deserve somebody who loves and appreciates you. Talk to me about how that journey played into you now starting your business. It transitioned because through that, we went into the COVID shutdown. So I wrote the book God told me to write. I wrote the book called Broken Stronger. And in it, it's called the Mariposa Effect, the butterfly effect. And it's really about breaking free and becoming your own boss, the process of breaking out of that cocoon. So that was a healing for me as well. So I wrote the book, went in to get ready for book launch and book signing and everything was shut down. We couldn't go anywhere. So I felt like that just flopped. It just like flopped. So I had to get creative. I had no money. And I started my coaching business virtually. Just I built a coaching business virtually from Zoom during COVID shutdown. And my first course was called Pain to Power because a lot of people talk about pain to purpose. And I don't believe that that's true because we've all been in pain, but not everybody's living in their purpose. So I believe pain possesses incredible power and it's power to either hold you down, power to then push you forward where you can begin the journey of living in your purpose. So it started with that. I found that I was reaching people that were still really in that pain and that heaviness, but I needed to do something fun in my life. I needed to bring color and life and joy back in. So I created a lot of those things 
things as just free ebooks, free downloads, free, like here's a resource. But when you're ready to take that next step, then come over this way. And it was, I had moved back in with my mom. That was the last piece. I lost the house. Here I am having my pity party on a recliner one night, again, drinking wine, 46 years old, thinking, how did I have me and my sons back at my mom's house? And I came across a photo that's scrolling through memories on Facebook of that neck surgery that I had talked about. And my scar is fresh, but I still had my lipstick on. I loved the photo and I never sit on an idea. That's the one thing I can say. I feel like the the ideas that are whispered in my ears are coming from my G.O.D. So when I realized that lipstick made me feel better after my surgery, lipstick was the one thing that when I woke up feeling like a freaking hot mess after the affair, I would look in that mirror and I would at least just put my lipstick on and it it at least made me feel alive. It made me feel vibrant. It, it, it brought color to my face. I could be in my pajamas all day. I didn't care, but I still put my lipstick on and it just, it was like lipstick. Lipstick's always been my thing. Lipstick is that cherry on top. It's that finishing piece that just pulls you together. At least it does for me. And I thought I wanted to make lipstick, put it that way. I wanted to be creative and get my creative energy flowing. And I thought my mom's going to kill me if I like open up a lab in her kitchen. We just moved into her house. I started reaching out to people, doing some research. I would watch some videos and I realized like, okay, there's a lot that goes into creating lipstick. And so I connected with some people out in LA and just kind of built a relationship, built conversation. I created a company that kind of started as more of a social confidence coaching. Come have lipstick, but let's talk about your self-esteem. Come play with lipstick, but let's talk about how to make your comeback. And it just evolved. Now, today, Besitos Beauty, we've been in business for two years. And now today, I have what I call the perfect 10 challenge, where out of 95 colors, I help you pick 10. Your perfect 10 based on if you just like glosses or do you like dark bolts, like whatever it is, we help your perfect 10. But I give you tips and tricks and techniques to do with your lipstick to give you like full effects. And it's amazing at the confidence that starts coming through because in our challenge group, I want you to put pictures of you in the lipstick every day. And, you know, in the beginning, people are really weird about taking a selfie. And by the end, man, they're getting the angle, they're getting the lighting, they're giving me like inside, outside. And it's it's the beauty of the confidence that starts coming through just by the lipstick. So that's truly what, what I enjoy. The lipstick can be bought in like, you don't have to like even know me. You can just go to the website, buy your lipstick, it'll get shipped and there you go. But just like any course as a coach that I created, I never automated it. I never wanted somebody to just come by, download and go because I needed to know, is it working? Is it is it making a difference? I don't want you to just buy it and let it sit in an inbox somewhere. So this lipstick is a way for me to actually see the progression, but bring a community together where we're all cheering each other on. And I don't care if people think you're just hyping people up. We need that. We need to be a support for each other. And so that's truly what I do on the regular today and run my company and run this perfect 10 challenge and grow the group. And it's just fun. That's so cool that you went from struggling with the same issues that all of these women are going through. And you've gotten to a place in your life where you're not only being a leader for them in this area, but you're also cultivating a community, which 
is so, so important. I think especially women, like we got to stick together. Like it's brutal out here. As somebody who has been able to kind of dig themselves up from the trenches of really struggling with self-esteem, what's something that you tell your clients? What's like your number one piece of advice or your, your tip or just a mantra to help them get to a place where they can start to build up that self-esteem again? Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of the I am statement where you you pick a couple adjectives and, you know, there's a whole formula for it. But I created one that for me was I am a genuine, forgiving, faith-driven leader, fiercely devoted to strengthening myself and others now. And I repeat that every day. So I encourage women, what's your I am statement? Who are you? And, and it might not be who you feel you are today, but who do you want to be? When you can repeat that and when you can even put it on a post-it note or you can say it in your mirror or plug it in your phone or just somewhere and repeat it, you eventually begin to believe it. And then you eventually begin to live it. I am that cheerleader. But if if we can get you to create your I am statement and you can repeat it, even in the moments when maybe you don't even believe it, but you can say it enough and you can say it enough. And sometimes you might need somebody to just be there to say it with you or say it for you. That to me is crucial. We, we need to be there for each other. And so for me, that's just an easy way. I am statement. I think that's so important. I mean, having a strong sense of identity. I've talked about this a lot with the therapists who have been on my podcast. It's like having a strong sense of who you are and knowing what you deserve, but being able to stick to it too, because you have the self-esteem to stick to it. That's what truly keeps people out of really challenging relationships. And so it's such a beautiful, like full circle moment that you're helping so many people find themselves again and also feel beautiful. Like, I mean, lipstick, like you said, it's fun, it's creative and it makes you feel alive. And I'm looking at your lipstick right now. I'm like, you look beautiful with this lipstick on. But the other thing too, is it's it's inexpensive. Not everybody has thousands of dollars to drop on coaches and, and therapists. And I mean, you just don't, not everybody does. And so to me, it's like, you want to buy some lipstick and come in our group? I'm a coach. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. Like I do all these things, but I don't need to charge you thousands of dollars to come in and play with lipstick every day. But little do you know, you're going to walk out feeling freaking fabulous. Because I remember, I remember I sold a $7,000 wedding ring for 500 bucks to keep my electricity on when things got that bad. And I knew after the affair, the ring meant nothing. It held no value. But what held value was keeping my electricity on so I could do the things I had to do. And so I know what it feels like when you're in this world of coaches and and all of this stuff. And I didn't have that money anymore. Like I didn't have it. And so to me, it's like tube of lipstick. Come on in. Let's party and have a great time. And it's brought joy into my life out of something that was so dark. So looking back on everything that you went through, which I mean, we've been on this call for, you know, well over an hour and it's quite the tale. If you could just leave my audience with one piece of advice or word of wisdom or just one final thing you would like for them to know about what you've learned from all this, what would you want to tell them? Stay the course. It's going to be rocky. You're going to you're going to feel like you're climbing a rock wall in one slip and you go all the way back down to the beginning. Stay the course. Keep going. And for me, it's trusting that the purpose will be revealed. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might be a freaking long time. Just stay the course. God doesn't make mistakes. And like I say, I I believe in my G.O.D. And so it's like there are no mistakes happening right now. Stay the course. Trust that process and just keep showing up for yourself every day and put on that lipstick. Tune in on Thursday for another breakdown bonus episode. We'll be talking about abandonment issues and also breaking down this week's episode. And as always, there will be another main episode next Tuesday. I'll see you whenever you decide to tune in next.